This is Brett Micellis, co-founder of Midas Touch, and you are listening to The Mighty. On The Mighty, we feature some of the most impactful responses, reactions, narratives, rants, and musings from Midas content creators. New episodes of the Traditional Brother podcast drop every Tuesday and Friday morning. The rest of the week, we bring you The Mighty. Over the past few days, we have seen a seismic shift on the ground in Ukraine with the Ukrainian military launching one of the most successful counteroffensives since the Battle of Kyiv. The Ukrainian counteroffensive has reshaped the entire war, with Russia now in retreat as the blue and yellow flag is raised once again in previously Russian-occupied territory across Ukraine. Midas Touch co-founder Ben Micellis caught up with retired commanding general of U.S. Army Europe, Ben Hodges, to get a full analysis of the current state of the war. Take a listen. This is Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network, and I want to get Ben Hodges, the former commanding general at U.S. Army Europe and current senior advisor for Human Rights First, take on this, who is an expert in what is going on there. Here's I want to read just this tweet from John Spencer, because this is one of the tweets that I've seen out there about what's going on right now that explains it in layman's terms. Just in case you are still not informed, Ukraine has regained, liberated over 1000 kilometers of land and cities. Ukraine is winning. Ukraine is defeating Russia, once thought to be the second most powerful military. Uh, Ben, what can you tell us about what's going on? Hey, Ben. Well, first of all, uh, Russia, which once was the second greatest military on the planet, is now the second greatest military in Ukraine. Uh, the you, What you just read is exactly right. Uh, Ukrainian forces have launched a very effective counterattack. Uh, it's still early days, but it's incredible how much movement uh, there has been, how much progress they've made. Um, it's a combination of things that we could talk about, but it really has the feel that Russian forces have cracked. And so it's almost like once you, you get momentum going, it's very difficult for a defender who's untrained or disciplined or disorganized to, to stop it. Let's talk about some of those elements. What's been, and you and I talked and people can watch our YouTube video from about a month or so back where you talked about some critical things that had to happen for Ukraine to prevail and Ukraine had the upper hand. We talked about at the time some of the new weaponry, but what's happened in the past week or last few days where I've just seen this real sense of like things have really, really changed. Well, first of all, the Ukrainian general staff gets huge credit, I think, for maintaining very disciplined OPSEC, operational security. I mean, we've all been fairly surprised. The Russians were surprised. Uh, And the fact that the Ukrainians could get this many troops and equipment and vehicles into place and also to deceive the Russians, to cause the Russians to shift forces down towards Kherson, weakening the place where the Ukrainians actually wanted to attack. So that's that's number one. A, uh, you're talking about a high level of uh, professionalism and skill. Secondly, uh, and this is where the U.S. and other allies have helped, uh, the, the shaping operations that the Ukrainians have been doing the last few weeks, constantly pounding Russian logistics, destroying ammunition storage, um, hitting headquarters time after time after time, all of these things, plus Partisans and or special forces operating in the rear area of Russian forces, this creates a lot of uh, disruption, uh, chaos, 
And so that weakened what was already, I think, a uh, uh, undisciplined Russian defense with people that really didn't want to fight anyway. You know, when we hear about, you know, uh, you know, we're talking about some of the most incredible counteroffensives since World War II, when we learn in the history about the Battle of Normandy and, and D-Day, all of the kind of ways that Germany thought that the U.S. was going to be invading from different areas ultimately before it went into Normandy. What it sounds like you're saying, too, here is that the counteroffensive took place in different locations. And so the Ukrainian army almost made Russia feel like they were going to one location, which they were, but then brought the troops uh, another counteroffensive in another area. And can you maybe break that down in kind of military terms? And am I understanding it in layman's terms somewhat correctly? Yes, you are. Um, so you, you know, everybody will remember there was so much talk about this coming Hersan counteroffensive, big southern counteroffensive. I mean, it was coming from the uh, headquarters, the capital in Kiev. Uh, I mean, it became a big topic, and uh, there was so much talk about it that I think that the Russians believed, okay, that's where it's coming, and so they they shifted some. Um, uh, forces, a significant amount of force down towards Kherson in the southern part of Ukraine to be prepared for where they thought this attack was coming. So, of course, that was by design on the Ukrainian side. It appears to me, I'm not reading any classified yep. information, but it, I mean, that's what it looks like. And uh, while the Ukrainians have done a lot of fighting around Kherson, it looks like their main effort was the one in the north, which now was able to attack a much weaker part of the Russian defenses. That was, and and so this is the, uh, is a great example of deception that they misled the Russians where they really wanted to attack. So what should we be looking for now in these coming days? Um, what other signs should we be looking for? You know, I think it was one of the first times that we had uh, Zelensky say, I can't say too much, but, you know, we're going to win, you know, words to the effect of we got this. But what else can we expect to happen in the next few days? Uh, I think three things that I'm going to be watching, obviously, uh, for the Ukrainians to be able to sustain this. I mean, you know, when you're on the offense, you're burning through a lot of fuel. You you end up with a lot of casualties. You use up a lot of ammunition. Um, can they sustain the momentum of what they're doing? My sense is yes. But we'll see as they go deeper into the Russian uh, rear area. But that, that'll that be one thing. How can they maintain momentum? Uh, the second thing is uh, I'm really, I believe that Crimea is the ultimate objective here. That with, you know, as they uh, attack with both that northern uh, main effort, but also if they break out from Kherson, you know, it all starts coming down towards Crimea, which is, the real prize. I mean, that um, because of what, what it represents psychologically, but also the capabilities that the Russians have there, th this will be um, important to watch. But the third thing I'm watching is uh, what the heck's going on in Moscow and St. Petersburg. Um, you know, there was reports today that uh, the city center of Moscow had been sealed off. And um, I, I don't know that there's going to be huge riots or this could have just been normal preventative measures. But um, you do get the feeling that people in the Russian capital are very uneasy about what's going on. 
and people, R Russians who have been occupying the t territories that they unlawfully took, they're leaving now and the Russian government had told them to start heading back or are people leaving on their own? I see those videos of like long lines of Russians leaving occupied territory and going back into Ukraine. What's that? I mean, well, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think probably I, mean, I saw where the spokesman, uh, the, the major general or two star general from the Russian Ministry of Defense was saying that, I mean, they're trying to spin this as if this was all planned and you know, it's under control. And we we really want to focus on Donetsk anyway. And so we're we don't care about these other places. And um, you've probably got uh, a lot of people that were there. Um, that came from Russia that were part of the occupation or, you know, I, I'm not sure what, the wide variety of people. And then you've probably also got some people that are saying, hmm, you know, uh, we need to get out of here before the fighting comes closer. So I think it's a it's a mix. This is the kind of confusing situation that goes on when you're on the receiving end of a of a surprise attack like this. And Ben, anything else you want to tell all of our viewers about Human Rights First or any of the organizations you're working with if they want to support the type of work that you do? Well, ben, thank you very much. I, I did uh, I join Human Rights First about three months ago. Um, I still get to work and focus on all the things I care about with the Black Sea and NATO and Ukraine and the Baltic, uh, NATO's eastern flank, if you will. Uh, but with the addition of, um, I mean, it's time for me in my professional life to broaden that a little bit and focus on the defense of democracy, not only overseas, but also at home. And I'm just real concerned with all the things I'm seeing happening in the United States here over the last uh, three or four years. And so I wanted to get more involved with that. Uh, and I do believe that uh, protection of human rights is uh, an important part of our national security strategy i mean it's, it's part of who we are that gives us strength so i like i like to work on that too so one other thing if i can take one more minute of your time is to ask you about um the top secret sensitive information i mean you were someone who would be familiar with that type of information at the highest level how what is your response to knowing how they were kept at mar-a-lago like what was your reaction to this whole situation that's taking place for someone who handles this type of material uh, I was appalled. I mean, you know, brand new lieutenants. The first day in your early days as an officer, you you learn about security clearances and how to handle certain things. There's there's a reason these documents have special covers on them so that they're easily recognizable as, huh, this is a spe document that requires special handling and it's got a cover so that somebody can't just walk by and read classified information that's sitting out on a desk or a table or or you forget about it. They have bright red, you know, all of these kind of things. And so it's just, it's hard to imagine how anybody at that sort of level, plus the people around the president, the former president, I mean, to be that careless or willful is, uh, it's appalling. Ben Hodges, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, Ben, and thank you to retired Commanding General Ben Hodges for sharing with us your expertise. We'll be sure to keep you up to date on the war effort as it unfolds. We here at Midas Touch stand with Ukraine and will always stand with the fight.
for democracy both here and across the globe. You may have heard that there is a brand new way you could support our unapologetically pro-democracy media network on Patreon. That's right. Head on over to patreon.com slash Midas Touch right now and become a member today. Not only will you be supporting our work in this community, but you'll also get access to exclusive bonus posts, content, postcards from the brothers, and so much more. And there's even an option for you to become a named producer of the Midas Touch podcast. That's patreon.com slash Midas Touch. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash M-E-I-D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H. Support independent media. Be sure to also check out the new Midas merch at store.midastouch.com. We've got great new gear such as the Rovember collection, Row Your Vote, Dark Brand and Stickers, Convict 45 pins and tees, and so much more. That's store.midastouch.com. Thank you again for supporting independent media, and shout out to the Midas Mighty.